Will you join me in celebrating the dads of grace, huh? <laughs> I like that, that first line. Being a good dad is not about what you leave for us, but what you leave in us. And I'm thankful for the dads of grace and the effort that they put in to love and serve their families, especially in a time in history where father absenteeism is epidemic and escalating uh, every year. Um, I'm thankful for godly dads right here at Grace that continue to invest in the lives of their family and their kids, and even the dads that are here at church on Father's Day. Um, even in a weird time like uh, now, when the church is reopening and in that season, uh, did you know that the highest attended weekends of the year at churches all across America are Easter, Christmas, and Mother's Day? In that order. All right, those are the highest attended weekends of the year. Guess what the lowest attended weekends of the year across the country are? All right, the week after Easter and Father's Day. Huh? I'm thankful for the godly daddies we have at Grace, even the ones that aren't here this morning. It's not about attending church, but it's about making a concerted investment in your family, being present leaving a legacy, making disciples. And we've got daddies here that do that, and I'm thankful for that. If, you're, uh, if you have your Bible, flip on over to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing this discussion, this exposition through the whole chapter as we look at these six principles that Peter gives us of how to heal through the hard stuff. I'll dive into that in just a second, but I did want to mention um, sometime this week, uh, and, we'll, and we'll, give much, we'll, we'll, we'll put a video out this week, we'll give more detail next weekend, but we're going to be talking about what July is going to look like for us here, we're going to shift gears again and continue in the, in, the, in the process of reopening. It'll look a little bit different. We'll probably go back down to three services, add a few more chairs. Um, we're gonna, we'll talk um, more about that in detail this week through the video, and the next weekend we'll just give you the bullet points of what July is going to look like as we continue to take some strides toward being completely reopened and being back to somewhat some functional version of normal here at GBC. But we appreciate your patience in the process. And, um, and I'm just excited to be here with those of you that, that are making the effort to come right now, for sure. Um, hopefully you're in First Peter chapter 1 or getting closest back towards the end of your Bible after the book of Hebrews and James. You're going to get into First Peter. And First Peter, was, it, it was a letter written by the Apostle Peter who walked with Jesus to encourage Christians in the first century, specifically the ones that live in or around the city of Rome. Because for those of you history buffs in the room, you know that at, at that particular point in history, like Rome was burning and Nero was lighting it on fire. Their own emperor was burning the city to the ground, essentially burning that whole uh, empire to the ground with the idea, people believed that he was doing it because he was just lusting to rebuild, that it would all be him and have his fingerprint all over it. But what happened is he was taking the heat for burning his own city, even though he was kind of doing it discreetly. And so he tried to turn the attention onto the Christians who were already extraordinarily persecuted at that particular time, already being killed for their faith. Now they are being blamed for burning Rome down, um, and the Christians are losing their homes, they're losing their family members, and it is a desperate, broken time in the life of all people in Rome, but particularly the Christians, because they're carrying the weight of the burden of what's happening on them. So Peter writes a word of encouragement to them in First Peter uh, in First Peter here to encourage them to be a people who continue to grow in their faith through hardship, to continue to learn to trust the Lord through these very difficult times, and to do so in such a way that you don't become bitter in the process, which I think we could use to have a conversation like that in our culture at this particular time in history as well as the people 
of God. And that's why we've been unpacking this. And so there's six principles that he hits in chapter one. We've been hitting two a week. And so just as a refresher, uh, how are you doing on healing through the hard stuff in your life, putting into play principles one and two? How are you doing this week? All right. Did you even put the effort in? All right. We're, we're using the word of God to be our faithful guide of how to heal through the hard stuff. We were reminded last week that principle number one, the first thing you got to do if you want to hear through the hearts, heal through the hard stuff, is you have to. What's that word? Oh, very good. I was actually out in town this week, and I had like people shouting across the street, "Rejoice!" You know, and like I'm glad it stuck with like three of you. That's great. We talked about the power and the importance of rejoicing first, even though it is not how we feel at the moment. Rejoicing is a common theme through Scripture of what the people of God are to do first when they want to heal through the hard stuff. And the second thing we talked about was a little more kind of practical. We had nuts and bolts that went with this one. We talked about um, preparing your minds for, okay, you don't really remember that because we kept saying, gird the loins of your mind. You remember that? Gird your loins. That probably stuck a little bit more, didn't it? Yeah. And so what you're talking about, pulling in the loose ends of your thinking and feeling and being. You're not going to be able to move forward unless you gird the loins, pick up the fringes of your robe, get it off the ground, grab those loose ends and those hindrances up so that you can begin to move forward and to move forward fast. If you missed that conversation and you are going through some hardship or hard stuff in your life, please get on our YouTube channel or our website, uh, gbc.life, uh, and Watch last week's discussion. It was brief and to the point, just like this week's will be. But we're going to move on to the second two things. We stack on to rejoicing and girding our minds, girding the loins of our mind. The next thing that he says, we, we, we covered uh, uh, verse 1 through 13, the beginning of 13. This week will just be in verse 13 because he gives us two more right there in that verse. And the next thing that he says is being sober-minded. Say sober-minded. Being sober-minded. Now, it's interesting that his first principles rejoice, and then the next two principles have to do with your mind. First of all, girding up the loins of your mind, picking up the loose ends, and then being sober-minded. Well, what's the difference? Well, to prepare your mind for action, to gird the loins means to bring up the loose ends, the hindrances. To be sober-minded is not to create more loose ends for yourself. You got it? That's the next step. While you're in the process of healing, don't create more problems for yourself. Be sober-minded, steadfast, sure. Don't let you. Here's, here's one of the easiest ways in this culture that we lose our sober-mindedness sober is when we, again, let our minds slip into neutral and we're just mindlessly thumbing through social media and you come across an article or a video and it just, and, and it just sucks you in and then it derails the next two hours of your life. As you are headed down this trail, it has messed up your attitude, it's messed up your day. All right, that's when you know you aren't being sober-minded. You've just created more loose ends for yourself, okay? You flip on the news in the morning, and you hear something or see something or experience something, and it derails your whole day. Be sober-minded. Don't create more loose ends for yourself. Remember, we're girding our loins so that we can move forward. Let's not create more problems for ourselves by being derailed that easily by the things that we're hearing and experiencing. Let's bring those all back to the truths of God's word, what we know is right and true and good, as has been declared by him, be sober-minded. This isn't the only place that Peter talks about sober-mindedness. Matter of fact, if you flip over to uh, chapter 5 of 1 Peter, just a page or two to your right, he speaks about it again, and this is what he says. Remember, he's speaking to a very anxious, troubled people who are going through hardship, Christian people that know and love Jesus. And this is what he says to them in verse 7 
of chapter 5, 1 Peter, he says, Cast all your anxieties on the Lord and be sober. What's that word? Hello. Be sober-minded. Cast your anxieties on the Lord and be sober-minded. Be watchful because, here's why it's so important to be sober-minded, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You find it interesting that when he speaks of our defense against the attacks of the devil, he chooses sober-mindedness as being a primary defense mechanism against the attacks of the enemy in our life. Right here. It's right there. And that's, that's important for us to know the importance of being sober-minded because, yes, that's how the enemy attacks us. He's already been defanged. Jesus defeated him on the cross 2,000 years ago. When he died and was buried and walked out of that tomb, we now have a fangless foe called the devil. And the best he can do on his best day is cause distractions and tell lies and just fire arrows at our mind. And so Peter reminds us, hey, be sober-minded. You got an enemy out there that's seeking to destroy and is looking for somebody that's going to be easily derailed and easily sucked in. Be sober-minded. Look, he even tells us how to resist the attack of the enemy. Look how he describes it. Verse 9, resist him by standing firm in your faith, sure in what you believe, a sober-minded faith, not easily derailed, but stands firm. Stand firm in your faith, knowing, there it is again, another word for the mind, knowing that the same kind of suffering that are being experienced by you is being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. That's one of the ways that the enemy first tries to lure you away is into isolation, letting you believe the lie that nobody understands what I'm going through or feels how I feel right now. That's where it always starts, sucking you onto an island by yourself. And that's when you know you're about to lose that sober-mindedness when you start to believe those lies. So he says, stand firm in your faith. Know what is true. Know that there are people suffering right alongside you that are on the same row as you and church struggling through it too. Continue to cling to and cleave to the truths of the word of God and know what is right and good and true based on what he has said, not on how you feel. Now we're going to wade out a little bit deeper into this water by flipping over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The apostle Paul coaches up the Corinthians on this very thing and he gets kind of down into the nitty gritty of sober mindedness. As you're making your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let me just remind you that the apostle Paul told the church of Ephesus that, hey, our battle is not against flesh and blood. You need to hear that today, 21st century American church, who's going through crisis. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the powers, the authorities of darkness. Just sum that up. In other words, your boss is not your enemy. Your neighbor, not your enemy. That estranged spouse that person you're constantly having to come in contact with because of the professional world, that fill in the blank, not your enemy, an adversary, sure, but not your enemy. Behind every adversary stands the enemy. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. There's an enemy behind them that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and all he wants to do is get you to believe lies and derail you from clinging to the hope that is ours in the grace of Christ Jesus. That's his goal. If he'll get you to get your hope into something else, to find your peace in something else, or to not find peace at all, that's all he wants to do. And understanding his playbook, knowing that this is how he seeks to attack. 
is important. This is what Paul tells the Ephesians, but he goes into a little bit deeper in the discussion in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And look, this is how he puts it. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh, verse 3. There it is again. We're not battling against flesh and blood. This is, a, this is a spiritual battle, a supernatural battle, one that, by the way, has already been won by King Jesus. We don't war against flesh and blood, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Part of healing through the hard stuff and being sober-minded is knowing where your power comes from to destroy those strongholds in your life. There's a lot of strongholds that kind of surface that become easily identifiable when we're going through the hard stuff. Now, just for the sake of this discussion, strongholds in your life look a little something like this. It's, it's, it's the easily identifiable, we'll call them mission stations, where the devil seeks to derail you in your life. Those are the strongholds. The ongoing struggle with that particular sin, that's an easily identifiable mission station that the devil's always trying to get you. You know that. You've seen that. You're alert. You're aware of that one. All right? Maybe it's, a, it's an area of reoccurring addiction issues, stronghold, easily identifiable mission station. I know that the enemy usually tries to work through that thing. Maybe it's a really toxic relationship. Stronghold, easily identifiable mission station. Devil's always coming at you in that particular area. So you're, you're alert, your head's up, your eyes are up, you know it's happening. Okay? Those are the easier ones to identify, and he tells us that the work in the words of God, the power of God that is at work in and through us is enough to destroy those things, to heal you in and through those things happening in your life. And then, those are easily identifiable. Now, this is when we get into the sober-minded part. It's the next thing that he says. He says, and we destroy not just strongholds, but we destroy arguments. Say arguments. And every lofty opinion, say lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God. Now, when we hear something like that, we destroy arguments and lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God. Good Bible-thumping Christians say, yeah, yeah, we, we, need, we need to stand for the truth. We need to let the world know the truth. Anybody that has an argument or a lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God, we need to speak out. We need to say something. We need to fix that. But it's interesting how our minds automatically go there that everybody else is the problem. When the Apostle Paul actually goes on to say, if you read past the comma, for you to take every thought captive and bring it into obedience to Christ. Destroying arguments and lofty opinions must not just be aimed at them out there. It must be aimed at us in here. And these arguments and these lofty opinions, when they are ours, we don't want to believe that they stand against the knowledge of God. No, we wouldn't do that, especially not this service. Maybe the 8, the 10, the 11, not the 9. Y'all wouldn't do something like that. Y'all wouldn't have an argument or a lofty opinion that's lodged itself in your head and heart that stands against the knowledge of God. No, these are harder to identify. This is an area where we lose our sober-mindedness. Because quite frankly, every one of us believes that we're right. But none of you agree with each other.
You know, the world doesn't need more right people. It needs more righteous people. People that are willing to even take their own thoughts, their own lofty opinions, their own arguments captive and bring them into submission to Jesus. You know, Dr. John MacArthur talked about this particular section and he said, what we do around our lofty opinions and around our arguments is we build these ideological forts. Or in other words, we build barricades around our lofty opinions. And so we never really take them captive. We never really find out if there's something wrong with them. Because quite honestly, we don't invite people in or voices in or news stations in or articles in that disagree with us. We just continue to fortify our own opinions. And we bury, a trench, we bury ourselves in a trench in the ground and build a barricade around us. Because we're so convinced that we're right. Our view of the thing is right. Our view of the world is right. Our view of the scriptures are right. And we just kind of barricade ourselves in. What's funny, as we learn and grow in our walk with the Lord, we actually start learning scriptures and reading passages of scriptures that kind of speak to our particular disposition. And we'll start decorating our barricades with Bible verses to make us further fortify ourselves in and say, well, I know I'm right now because these out-of-context scriptures that hang on the wall of my barricade. And we sit behind our barricades and we wage what we believe to be holy wars with the world outside of us, with our actions and our words and our keyboards. Because we're convinced that God needs us to get the world to think like we do as we sit barricaded in. You know, it's funny, this is why, like, you know, people will come to a church as long as what you already believe is coming out of my mouth. You want me to say that again for the people in the back? You will attend the church as long as what you already believe is coming out of my mouth. You fortified yourself in, you're barricaded in, you're not willing to take that thought captive, bring it into obedience to Jesus to ensure, to make sure that this is in fact the right view, the right way of being, the right way of feeling about a certain thing. And it causes mass chaos within the body of Christ, within the world that we live in. And honestly, like we as pastors, we're the worst because we get so used to talking that we've forgotten how to listen. Ideological forts, where's yours? Where's the area of in your life that you've barricaded yourself in and you invite no, no opposing voice? You've already decided before you hear it, before you see it, before you read it, you have already decided that you're dismissing ideological forts. He tells us right here, he says, we, the, the power of God, his word, the work of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in us is enough to even break down those barricades in our life. And those are hard barricades to break because we ignore them. Be sober-minded, Grace Bible. You can't heal through the hard stuff when you just keep digging the trench deeper and digging your heels in the sand and refusing to have a change of mind and a change of heart, refusing to see outside of the little scope of the barricade that you've built. There's a, there's, an, there's a danger that happens when we get into a place like that. We've built a barricade so fortified by 
out-of-context Bible verses and certain viewpoints of certain things that we actually start to see the world and the Word of God through the narrow little window in our barricade. Instead of seeing our barricade in the world through the window of the Word of God. Be sober-minded, Grace Bible. Grab that thing, that ideology, that argument, that lofty opinion, that thought that's trying to derail you. Grab those thoughts. Take every thought captive. Bring it into obedience to Christ Jesus. Ask yourself. Pass it through the filter. We talked about the Philippians 4.8 filter. The Philippians 4.8 filter. Grab that thing. Is it, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it praiseworthy? Is it? Is, it, is the thing that you feel, the viewpoint that you have, is it saturated with the character of God? Or is it saturated with your own anger and your own prejudice about whatever the thing is and your own frustration? Is it saturated with the character of God or is there your fingerprints all over it? Is it saturated with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the evidences of the Holy Spirit? Does that, that belief move you into thinking and believing and seeing that way, or does it cause you to dig a deeper trench as you get angrier and angrier and lessen your friend group and hop churches or whatever? Ideological forts, barricades that we've built. And there's a perfect partnership between that and what he says next, number four. Our second one today, but number four in our scope of what we've been talking about. Rejoice, gird the loins of your mind, be sober-minded, don't be so easily derailed and thrown off and sucked in, but also on the flip side, don't just dig a hole and barricade yourself in. Be sober-minded. The next thing that it says, being sober-minded, this is interesting. He's assuming that we will. Being sober-minded, he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Being sober-minded, Grace Bible, set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a constant temptation in your life as you are struggling with continuing to walk faithfully and sober-mindedly, trusting the Spirit to continue to bring you back to that place of sober-mindedness. There's going to be a constant temptation to, to lure you away. The world's going to try to lure your hope away to put it in other things. It's going to try to Invite your hope to slip into your finances, invite your hope to slip into your medical situation, invite your hope to slip into the hands of a certain doctor or a certain medication, invite your hope to slip into a certain relationship, and before you know it, your hope is rested in that thing, and trust me, the way God designed the world to work is that our lesser gods would never fail to fail us. They will let you down, you will be disappointed, but there is only one God, God Almighty King Jesus, that will not disappoint that is worthy of your hope, that is worthy of your praise. As sober-minded believers, set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace that has been revealed in the past, that is being revealed right now, and one day will be revealed to us in full and completeness. Set your hope fully in him. And I want to leave you with these words that Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, who was going through the hard stuff. As you're healing through the hard stuff, be reminded of Jesus' words to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. O Grace Bible, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect 
and your weakness. Let's pray about that. Father, again, I declare that these are things, rejoicing, preparing our mind for action, being sober-minded, keeping our hope steadfast in you and not letting it slip to other stuff. Like, God, these are things that we will not be able to do apart from the power of your Holy Spirit in us. So, Lord, would you ignite the healing process in those that are hurting? Would you continue to be the faithful guide that you are in bringing them back to a place of sober-mindedness and rejoicing and hope. Oh, great healer, would you step into our story and continue to shape us into the image of Christ who is always at perfect peace, who is always has wisdom and clear direction, who always knows just what to do. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, that we are yours in Jesus' name.